On today's episode of the Cosmos Podcast, we have a very special guest, Mr. Max Rosenberg. Max and I met back in 2010, 11-ish, when we were both working at Cosmos Sports. Since then, Max has gone on to work for the Toronto Argonauts and the Canadian Football League, leading social media efforts for both those organizations. As you'll hear, when Max got started in the industry, social media was such a new thing. Max got in on the ground floor and has been able to see firsthand how rapidly things have changed in a relatively short period of time. Max shares some of his best practices for social media and sports, as well as some advice for those looking to build a career in social media and sports in general. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the Cosmos Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. In addition to this great conversation with Max, we've got some fantastic guests lined up over the coming weeks that you won't want to miss. And you can also check out our archive of past episodes. If you have any questions about something you hear on the podcast, you can always reach us by email, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. We hope you enjoy. Uh, Max Rosenberg on the line uh, for for the Cosmos podcast. Max, uh, welcome. Hey, Evan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks a lot. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this, um, and appreciate you you willing to uh, experiment with us. This is our first ever remote podcast, so hopefully all goes well. Uh, <laughs> but so far, so far, so good. So far, so good. Yeah, no problem. Happy to uh, as a Cosmos alum. Happy to uh, to jump on. Yeah. yeah. So I guess just as a, as a point of reference, uh, uh, for those that are listening, uh, Max and I met, uh, back when we worked together at Cosmos, I, I guess that was back, uh, about 2011, 12, uh, around that time. Um, I, I, would say, I think even before that, cause I started working for the Argos in 2012. So I want to say like maybe 2010, like we were yeah. that, that same Cosmos intern class of those like nine people or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So going back a little ways now, uh, <laughs> Yeah, considering it's almost uh, almost the end of the, uh, the I don't know, I'm not sure what we're calling this decade, the the 20 teens, the, the aughts. I don't know, but way to make me feel old right at the gate. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, again, thanks a lot for for doing this. Um, wanted to uh, pick your brain a lot about you know social digital media uh, in particular, as that's been really your uh, career path over over the last. Um, several years and and um and as you kind of touched on there when we met you know working at cosmos but then you uh you joined the the toronto argonauts um specifically in that social media kind of area right yeah yeah so i mean i was with the with cosmos for that for that internship and then hired on full-time with you uh after our internship and digital and social is definitely pretty new i'm pretty sure at the time i think i was the first social or social, the first like creative services and it intern that that your that abby over in your guys department had ever had so that was sort of a new thing and i remember i created the cosmos facebook page the twitter account and all that kind of stuff so it was so new that instagram definitely did not exist at that time to even make one so uh, and then from there went over to the argos and uh like started as their sort of digital media coordinator and then kind of took the ball from there in 2012 which was a a pretty crazy year considering they won the great cup at home. So definitely got thrown into the fire, uh, in terms of profile and how much, you know, what a season can become when, you know, you're not really sure, obviously working in sports, you kind of live and die by the, by the way your team goes. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think that it, back when you started at Cosmos, the things like Instagram didn't exist and, and you started the Facebook page and started the Twitter page. Like it's, it's still such a new thing. It, it feels like it's been around for, for a while, but social media really is still, it's such a new thing. Yeah. I was sort of, uh, I've, I kind of like, uh, as I've 
which I'm sure we'll get to. So I've been at the Argos for three the for three years, and then I've been at the Canadian Football League for the last uh, three years, and I've uh, recently uh, sort of resigned from that position. I'm going to work for a we like as in like we charity. So me to we and we day to do their social. I was kind of reflecting on my time at the CFL and, you know, to think that on my first day, I remember saying, asking why the Argos didn't have an Instagram account. And I was told because the guys that were in the communications department at the time had Blackberries and therefore they couldn't run the app. And since I had an Android phone, they kind of just let me do my thing. Um, and <laughs> yeah. so it's kind of a crazy thing to think about that. That feels very long ago, but you know, really it's only been six years, which in the, the span of time is, is pretty, pretty small. Um, but you know, especially at Cosmos, like making the page and sort of just getting assigned that task, nobody really knew what it was, what the space was all about and sort of how that would end up impacting, uh, you know, what you guys do. I know that, you know, digital marketing and that kind of and sales in that regard have sort of become a, a signal point of the business. So to think of back just six years ago, we were creating pages and now, you know, I'm sure that's sort of a service and, and stuff that you guys offer. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's I mean, it's grown into a, uh, you know, kind of a pillar for for our business and um, an area that's that's just really ever evolving. Um, what, what would you say, you know, back when you kind of got started, you know, at Cosmos and then at the Argos, what would you say kind of attracted you to, to social media and, and digital media? Was there something about it that um, you felt aligned with your skill set or something that you, you know, found really exciting about it? Or um, I mean, I think, I did a media studies program uh, at university. So I was in, I went to Western and I did, they have an MIT program. So it's media information and technoculture. So kind of media studies and tech had sort of always been in my like scope of thought and stuff that I was interested in. Um, at university it was more on a theoretical level as opposed to practical. And as much as I loved my program, I wasn't, you know, they didn't, I didn't come out of there with a whack of, uh, I guess, practical skills to go to the workforce with. So I kind of took and looked at what areas I was interested in. Sports had always been a thing that was of interest. And I actually got the internship at Cosmos through school as like a paid uh, internship program. So not paid, sorry, but like, uh, yeah, I got a credit for it through school. Um, and, right. you know, I, I think that first day there was sort of a survey that was laid out before us that was like, what are you guys interested in? Like, here's a bunch of different areas of the business. And you know, sales or sponsorship had not never have wasn't really anything that was ever the most interesting. But the creative, uh, I'd taken some digital uh, computer graphics classes in high school, and I kind of knew that that was something I'd be good at out of the gate. Um, and uh, I don't think a lot of people were in that space, so I kind of just took a shot. And then the the social piece kind of came almost organically. Like uh, I remember, you know, had a Facebook page in university, but didn't you know it was one of still like university you had to have a university email to get it sort of exclusive thing and didn't have a twitter page and kind of just started doing that uh you know in my spare time i was interested in sports writing so i did some fantasy basketball stuff and got a twitter page to help promote my own sort of thing and engage with people and, and do some research and it kind of just evolved and i sort of got lucky like i now know you can now you can go to school and i'm sure my mit program offers courses in social media management and how to run a Facebook page. And, you know, uh, I kind of, not to say I would have written the textbook, but, you know, there was no textbook, I guess, at the time, which is kind of a, again, a crazy thing to think about. Yeah. 
Um, so if you, when you think back to just getting started with the with the Argos and social media, I mean, how, how was the team looking at it back then? What was what were the thoughts about its its use case and and what was kind of the strategy you guys were adopting back then? Yeah, I think um, you know specifically with the Argos, they it was a very you know the the staff was it was right around the hundredth Great Cup, so there was a lot of focus around there was a focus on it, but again, there was still sort of a relative unknown. There was a lot of thought that. Uh, you know, there was a lot of press release style tweets. There was not a lot of thought to being, you know, to having it sort of have a voice. Uh, I think people viewed it as an arm of the communications department. So the same way that you would write a press release, very, uh, you know, rigid and structured. I think people kind of thought that that's how social would live because it was sort of a front facing thing. And, you know, you were having maybe an intern or like a junior staff run it. So you didn't want to take too much risk. And I have, as I, I've sort of said, I give all credit to my boss at the time, Eric Holmes. He was the director of communications. And he, you know, I'm, I'm sure it took a couple, a bit of time for us to build the trust, but he kind of let me do my thing. And, and I sort of took control. Like the Argos sort of weren't 100% sure. I was kind of operating in a silo, but, you know, wasn't, was getting some good response from fans, was engaging with people and sort of viewed it as a, a fun place to connect to the fan base as opposed to, you know, an arm of the communications department to just say, you know, this player signed and, and sort of just be more structured that way. And I think when we saw the early results, we kind of just kept rolling with it. It was getting attention. It was uh, doing some good stuff for our brand uh, across the city and, and that kind of thing. So uh, as the positivity started to roll and I think they kind of just let me, let me roll with it. Yeah. With a, with a sport like football, um, in such a relatively short season, you talk you know a fair bit about you know wanting to engage with fans as opposed to making it um, all one way communication. Uh, with such a short season, how do you keep people engaged year round? Yeah, so I mean, I used to have a, I used to, I mean, it, it's definitely much different now over at the CFL. Like working for the league, you're in charge of nine teams, so chances are a team is signing a player in a given week, and there's a little bit more conversation to be you know, you can kind of drum up a little bit about, uh, you can kind of make your own news almost in a weird way. If you want to like talk about who's improved in the off season, that kind of thing. But with the, with the team, uh, you know, I always made sure that I had a sort of a personal rule for myself, um, that I tried to engage in some capacity with every tweet or sort of Facebook comment that came in. Uh, I would either like it or retweet it or reply and just sort of ensure that I, I always found that if you, you know, reached out and touched someone through social once, then they would always come back. And I, I definitely saw, you know, if I replied to someone, they, they kind of uh, would definitely start tweeting with us more often. Cause I don't think tons of brands were, were doing that either, or even sports teams for that matter. Um, and then in the off season, you know, it kind of comes down to a lot of, I, I think the Argo specifically do a great job in the community. Uh, they have a gentleman, Jason Calero, who's been there for, almost 30 years now from Waterboy all the way up to the director of their community department. And he is in 200 plus schools in the off season. And so, you know, I would tag along there and there was a lot of, you know, it's an opportunity to connect with the community and, and sort of showcase players at schools and talking about cyberbullying. And then we kind of focus on that. And then of course, uh, you know, when you do get those pieces of off season news, whether it's a player signing or uh, sometimes coach change or whatever it might be, you kind of, want to build out a content plan that can stretch that piece of information as long as possible. So, you know, it's not just enough to say that a player is signed, but, you know, let's do an analysis piece. Let's shoot a video. Let's try and 
Uh, can we get that player on a phone to sort of do some people do podcasts for their team like you and I are doing now, or maybe it's a video with some highlights and the, the phone over the top and just kind of thinking of all the ways you can uh, take something and turn it into, you know, five, six, seven pieces of content as opposed to just one. Right. Right. Um, one of the things that, uh, that you see a lot of teams doing in it, and I'm pretty sure you, you did it while you were with the Argos as well as, you know, a little friendly kind of jabbing back and forth between the teams. Um, is how much of that, you know, how much are you coordinating with your, your colleagues across the league to kind of set some of that stuff up? How much is it of it is organic and, um, does it ever kind of get out of control or for most people kind of see that it's, it's all in fun? Um, so I was, a, I think one of the, I think especially in the CFL was one of the first to kind of do that from the Argo side. Um, at first it became something that I would just do. And, and then I guess as you get to know the people, I find it's best when you and the person who might run the other account are sort of on the same page and kind of have an understanding of what, what you guys are doing, because then one, there's no, I guess in theory, hard feelings, but also you guys can kind of, plotted out like we did a pla- a program with the tie cats one year where we tried to get our fans to tweet you know hashtag beat the tie cats or hashtag tweet the argos and we launched that you know in coordination and said you know hey fans we're trying to get uh and, and i basically called on argo fans to tweet at the tie cats hashtag beat the tie cats sort of to just chirp them as from a fan perspective and we had some great results there um same with you know chirps across different uh different teams you know if something was happening, I would, if I knew the person, I'd text them and, and kind of have some fun with it, me and them. And then we, that would kind of transfer over to social. And then sometimes we go a little rogue. Like I, I, uh, when we, when the, the Hamilton Tire Cats made the gray cup for the second year in a row in Vancouver, we launched a campaign where we supported Calgary because sort of Hamilton's Toronto's number one rivalry. And when the Tire Cats lost, uh, we had some chirps ready for them as the back-to-back uh, Grey Cup participants, which caught a lot of people off guard and received some some attention in the media. I know Tim and Sid, uh, they used to have this section called uh, Cut or Uncut, like is this a thing that is legit or not? And sort of they were talking about, you know, we didn't even make the playoffs, but we're out here sort of horsing around and having a good time. And uh, so it can, it can get pretty fun. I, I, I didn't. I'll always enjoy those opportunities. I think I had to cool it off a bit when I went to the league office, but um, always better, I think, on a coordinated because, you know, then you guys can leverage each other and kind of set up the banter um, in, a, in a sort of way, which I think ends up helping uh, the overall execution. Yeah. Something kind of unique to sports too, because you, you probably wouldn't see that too much in, in other businesses. No, yeah, you've seen it. Like, I think recently, like, Wendy's and McDonald's have been like, beefing with each other on twitter which i think is like pretty <laughs> funny like and then i know that like that wendy's kfc like the conglomerate they just like are like torching people left and right like i know kfc uk is just like putting burger king on blast and just like going rogue i know like there's this have you ever heard of a moon pie uh no i don't think it's so. like a snack that you get in the u.s and like their twitter account has just like gone off the rails and they're just like out here chirping people and like so sometimes you see it but it's definitely uh the rivalry side too is definitely more unique in sport i know you know there's a couple like the blue jackets the vegas knights the uh portland trailblazers have all have all sort of done pretty good the atlanta hawks have done some cool stuff too so um it's a you you have to have a i think it, it comes down to having a person in that department that you can trust and then also uh you know the the organization has to kind of be behind it otherwise you know 
we've we've seen sometimes it goes sour. I know that the I believe that Rockets or the Mavs had to fire their social person. I think the Rockets because they yeah the Rockets. with the with the horse and the and the gun thing. So you know you got to be careful, but it definitely has a high upside if you've done it correctly. Yeah. Uh, I know for a while the LA Kings were a team that really stood out to a lot of people from from their social feeds. Are there, are there any teams in your mind that that really stand out these days? That um, something for other teams to to emulate? Yeah, I think I think LA they were good. They start they sort of pulled back a bit. I think you've seen almost like a, a correction to the mean. Like I think there was a period of time when everybody was doing it, and now there's a little bit of a middle. I know uh, right now the the Vegas Knights have gotten a lot of publicity for for having some fun with their thing with their fans. I um, they they do a great job. They're they're pretty. Uh, they have fun with it. Um, I thought that you know they were doing it before they had a team, and I was wondering how I was going to you know react when the season actually started. But since they've been good, it kind of gives them a a leg to stand on. Sort of you know it's hard to chirp from a position of you know losing a bunch of games. So that's why you see some of the the teams that might not be doing so well in that same position. But I do feel uh, you know I think there's also been a, a move to you know. Teams are getting where where was that time? You know, you would get a lot of publicity for you know a crack joke or something like that. The the teams that are getting a lot of credit are you know that that do content really well. Um, so you know you might follow an account for a, for a chirp or a tweet, but if you know a, a sports team that you like is doing really great video content or really great editorial or you know they have a segment like the Patriots have this segment where Bill Belichick comes on and he breaks down game tape. Um, and it's super, and like, he's a hard guy to crack, but he's super engaging in this one thing. So I follow the Patriots on Facebook because I love seeing that feature and watching that with Belichick or, uh, Clemson is a team that does like social video really well. So they do a lot of motion animation and they're, they have a huge team that does some really cool stuff with short form video. So I find that less than the chirping, I'm sort of almost following who does great content, regardless of if I like, or don't like the team, like that's sort of what's most interesting to me now. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that. So after the the Argos, you had a chance to join the league office, um, and you, you mentioned you know a few things there. You had to you know change your style a little bit. But what did you find were some of the biggest differences between the league office and and working on the team side? Um, yeah, I think you know at least initially there was obviously a calming of uh, the the chirps and that kind of thing, which I think you know helped focus again on the. There's such a widespread amount of content that you know from going from covering one team to nine there's a lot more dependency on, you know, being there, there was a little bit more 24 seven to it because, you know, like even a couple months ago, the Winnipeg blue bombers decided to sign Darian Durant at 8 PM on a Saturday night. That's like huge news and it's a big deal, but we didn't know it was coming and sort of had to react. So I think that was a piece of it. And then I think having access to a wider audience and, and a bigger team. So, you know, over at the league office, there's, three or four video people, two or three on editorial, uh, me. And then I have a, I had a, I have a coordinator on social, this uh, gentleman, Robbie Abramson, who, who brought on while I was working there to help because just of the mass of content. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's so much more to cover. I think that was the big, the big change. And then also, you know, an opportunity to leverage those resources. So, you know, we've done a live show last year, which was like the first of its kind in partnership with Twitter, which was very cool. Um, we were in their offices. We were pumping that out through their Periscope producer product. Um, and, you know, that wouldn't have been possible from a team level just because of the audience and, and the resources at the league allowed us to kind of, you know, do something awesome like that that was, uh, I guess, touched a lot of people. And we had some great guests um, and it was sort of a cool 
experience to be the first sort of sports organization to do something like that, at least in Canada. Yeah. So example being the, the dairy and Durant thing that you mentioned. So, you know, social media tends to be, and in sports in, in particular, tends to be a, you know, really 24, seven, 365 thing, or at least that's what it's, what's getting to. So how do you, how do you balance, um, you know, so much stuff that, that you want to cover, but you, you know, you, you can't be on it, uh, all hours of the day. Yeah. So I think, you know, for us, it's been, it's a combination of, uh, a good team. So, you know, if editorial has three people, there's usually, you know, they kind of plan out who's available. So me on social, it was me and my, my buddy, Robbie, we would, you know, who's available, you know, if stuff comes loose, you know, who can be available to, you know, jump in on it, planning out if, you know, there's a longer term vacation, who can be available over Christmas, whatever that might be. And then at the same time, uh, having stuff that allows you to act quickly and swiftly. So, um, I think there was a time when, you know, attaching a simple photo to a player release or something was, you know, viewed as acceptable. And now, you know, we make sure that everything has a template. So we have these player signing with the team logo and the signing, all that stuff ready to go. And we, uh, basically have that. And so it looks like, you know, we're prepared and looks legit, but at the same time, um, it, it shows a level of uh, professionalism and says it sort of shows that we're prepared. Um, and then I think the last part is probably uh, sort of open communication. So, you know, and relationship building. So on the league side, you know, we can talk to our teams and sometimes if I have a good relationship with their social person, they might give me a heads up that something might be coming in the next couple of days or at this time and, and sort of allows us to be prepared. And that, you know, that comes through, social capital and relationship building. And, you know, in all cases, that's not going to be the case, I guess. But uh, those are kind of the main three things that kind of allow you to, to be prepared, but also act in a, in, you know, a level and, and show a level of, of skill that, that people want to keep coming back to. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, you know, you know, being prepared and, and, you know, so you're in the right, you've got the right structure anyway, so that you can respond to things. Um, how, how much the content that you guys would put out, whether at the Argos or at the, at the league was pre-planned. So things that had already, you know, already been written and scheduled a few days prior or versus how much it was done on the fly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, on the editorial content, uh, I think there were, we got, I got to, uh, you know, scheduling even when I started, wasn't a thing. So now obviously we have a, we use Hootsuite over at the league offices, our social media moderation platform. Um, and you know, we're scheduling tweets, uh, pretty far in advance. So especially if it's an evergreen piece of content. So for example, today, the CFL put out this video with their host, Brody Lawson. She went down to Katy, Texas, and she worked out with a couple of players from the Riders and the Eskimos and the Stamps. Um, and, you know, that piece of content goes out on our Facebook page, but uh, the first time today, but that doesn't mean that we can't tweet it. Uh, you know, we will tweet sometimes a piece of content anywhere between two or three times in just a different way. So first time it's, here's this thing with these players. Maybe there's a fun twist. We put it on it the second time. And so I think a lot of scheduling definitely goes on. And then there's periods of time when there's no scheduling and you're working on a live event. So maybe that's combine coming up next week. And that's, you know, you're pushing stuff in the moment, but you're not scheduling anything because it's all live, live action. And you're uh, kind of covering what's happening in the moment through Instagram story or Twitter video, whatever it might be. And then once the event ends and you're doing the recap content, we will kind of then work to recycle it and, and kind of bring that stuff back through. So it's definitely a mixture and I'm sure it would be different for all 
for all kind of areas of sport, depending on team versus league, uh, sort of, sort of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned Hootsuite as a tool that you guys use. Uh, I know mm-hmm. there's you know, lots of different tools out there nowadays to help with social media and social media management. Um, besides Hootsuite, are there some others that you've find are really must have tools? Yeah. So, I mean, we obviously Hootsuite's our primary for social media management. We do use for Facebook stuff. It's just strictly through their business manager. I find that that has the least, uh, sort of that's the easiest way to make sure that there's a few functionalities that don't transfer through, uh, cross posting and some other stuff on Facebook that, you know, you can't do through a second, a third party. Um, we've worked out with simply measured. There are deep listening analytics tools. So they are able to track all of our team accounts. So they track all of the league and team accounts and they can do some cool stuff with, uh, engagement uh engagement as a percentage of your follower base which we find is an interesting stat because it shows you know total engagement is great but uh the percentage of your followers sort of shows how many of your x thousands of followers are actually engaged with you on a daily basis which you know uh is an important tool to make sure that you're you're bringing people back and then uh it can also spit out these uh reports which our teams really like uh they're sort of competitive reporting so if we have a report that shows, you know, here's how all nine teams and the league did on Twitter last month, uh, it'll give a scorecard of, you know, who had the most engagement, who put out the most content, who, uh, you know, uh, is getting the most engagement from fans. And it, it sets a good barometer for the teams at the top to, to know whether what they're doing is correct. And then maybe for the teams closer to the bottom to say, oh, okay, maybe we need to step it up in, in these areas. Uh, with through those reports, is there is there a type of content that you find uh, works best for for engagement? Uh, is there anything any insights uh, that you, you get from those that are uh, pretty consistent? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it it definitely depends on the type of content, maybe the time of when you're doing it. I, I mean, we get great numbers on Instagram, and and it's sort of different because you know Instagram scores an engagement as anytime you like something, but Twitter might only do it as a like or a retweet or a reply, which is obviously you know, there's a much barrier, larger barrier to entry to like double tapping an Instagram than there is to like getting someone to retweet something. Um, so, you know, it kind of just depends, I guess. It's, it's that sort of a hard question to answer. We've seen a lot of recent success with Instagram story, um, which uh, drives some great numbers. You can sort of drive to off-site, off-Instagram content, which we've had some good success with. Um, and there's sort of a hyper-engaged group of people that sort of love watching their stories. Right. Um, now, how much uh, with with social media with with ever uh, platforms? Um, you know, how much of it should be just kind of native to that platform versus linking out to uh, whether it's the website or or something like that? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it kind of I think it depends on what your your like your I guess departmental goals are. So, you know, if you're thinking about how important it is to drive engagement on platform, then, you know, you might want to upload the whole video to your Facebook page because, you know, you're going to keep more people there. And I think people are watching more video longer. There was a time when Facebook was sort of like 90 seconds or below was what people wanted. Whereas uh, now, you know, with Facebook watch and these like long form pieces of content, people are saying on Facebook for, you'll watch a video for, you know, 10, 20 minutes if, if it's engaging. Um, but if you have a directive from your uh, bosses that you need to drive website traffic for pre-roll and, you know, big box and leaderboard run of site stuff, then, you know, 
creating a snippet, which would be like a 10, 15 second piece and driving back to your website is also acceptable. Uh, It's kind of just what it ends up being sort of what the organization views as their success metric, I guess was probably the easiest way. It's going to be different for each organization. Some are jump everything on social. We want it shared and seen, whereas some, you know, are saying, let's keep our site the exclusive place for this style of stuff. So again, yeah, it just totally depends on the organization. Right. Um, the other thing with with Facebook in particular, anyway, I've found anyways, is uh, uh, organic reach has really, uh, really changed since the early days. Um, what are you finding? Uh, what are you finding there? Is it are you finding that there's, you know, really not much left there in terms of uh, organic reach and you have to supplement it with paid or what are you finding? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think the organic reach is dead is a bit harsh. I think it comes down to sort of, you know, I remember how we were kind of talking, I mentioned earlier about who does great content. So in the end, I think, you know, great, awesome content's always going to break through to a certain degree and impact on organic. You know, if there's a page that you really like, uh, I, I guess the issue is, you know, on Facebook, if there's a page that you really like and that you engage with on a continual basis, then, uh, you know, that's content's going to start coming through more regularly on your feed anyways. But um, I think that, the thought process around, you know, supporting your, you know, things that you've put maybe, you know, things that you've invested the time, the effort and the money in on Facebook, for example, uh, to think about having how to supplement that with a paid uh, thing can also help, you know, reach people outside of your network. So, you know, there's a lot around on Facebook of how people are kind of liking the things that they like, and then they don't see, you know, this is a very popular conversation, in the sort of a political sphere to, to kind of move away from sports. But, you know, People who are left wing will see only, you know, they're only going to like and follow people that offer that style of opinion. Same with, you know, the right wing. And so that sort of creates a bit of a bubble. Whereas with paid, you can make a really strong effort to reach outside of your network. So targeting fans, I think, you know, sports teams probably do this a lot. But, you know, if you're a team and you're in a city that has other sports fans and you're trying to attract casual fans, you know, targeting, uh, the other teams in your city and then, you know, sort of maybe you can pull them in because they're close, that kind of thing, I think are, are some interesting strategies that people can use on the, the sports side, at least. Yeah. Um, what, what kind of skills do you think are the most important to have if you're going to be working in social media? Um, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, at this, I think it was at the CFL, you, um, you brought on somebody to, to help you out just because of the sheer volume of, um, of content and everything. But you know, when you're looking for somebody, you're hiring for somebody in this field, what types of skills are you looking for? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when, when I brought on a person, I kind of looked for a combination of things. I think, you know, for me, fit personality, like, like I needed to know that I'm going to be working very closely with this person every day for the next however many days and we're going to be texting all the time and working right next to each other so you know i think i really look for someone that i I knew that i would be able to connect with in that in that manner obviously you know not the easiest thing to predict off of uh of an interview but that was a a big part of it for me and then you know do they have some experience running social uh what do their personal social accounts look like um you know what do they have experience doing are obviously a big part of it but you know I, i was pretty confident uh you know, I, I sort of wanted a, someone that I knew that I'd be enjoyable to hang around and that had the potential. And then I kind of had confidence in myself that I could teach him, you know, our style guide on Facebook, our style guide on Twitter, however it might be. Um, but I think, you know, 
doing social for if you're not working for a business are you running it for you know a charity are you actively engaged on your own twitter page and i can see that you know uh you're funny and that you understand language and how to be like how to write a good pun in 140 characters like there's sort of a whole grab bag of things and then you know that total package can kind of indicate to me if i think you'd be a good fit and you know if you've got the at the chops for a lack of a better term yeah it's interesting you mentioned you know you know, doing it for, um, you know, running social for a charity or something like that. Like one, you know, thought people might have if they're looking to get into uh, working in social media is that, you know, how are they going to get experience if they can't get get a job? But there's lots of ways to gain that experience. Uh, and having your own social channels is free anyway. So you can you can really showcase your, um, your abilities there just by uh, having a profile yourself. Yeah, you can sort of hone your skills. Like I think there was a period of time where I was, uh, you know, trying to write just trying to like talk about sports or write about it better and so you know i was running a fantasy blog and doing my own thing and looking for just ways to like kind of play with the medium and play with the platform if that means you know you don't want to do it on your personal one then you know creating a secondary account that's your you know so and so's fantasy tips and then you're kind of just like testing the waters and you know seeing what sticks and engaging with people and and, and that kind of thing i think is always is always helpful and then you know, again you know getting involved like specifically with the person that we ended up hiring he was running social for a uh, charity basketball tournament so just to know that you know check that see if he's you know he was running it like a you know with general uh general you know proper skill so you know i think there's there's definitely ways if you're not working directly for an organization that you can you know display and learn and, and hone your skills yeah for sure uh, Twitter, so Twitter recently moved away from its 140 characters. Uh, I think it's 240 now. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I was torn when it first happened. I was like super pissed and I, I don't know, maybe it's just like, cause I'm like, <laughs> get off like this crotchety old man. It's like, get off my lawn. Um, but yeah. I actually found that, you know, because we were doing a lot of like Twitter video and linking to things off site that links were taking up a lot of i love when they moved away from the images taking part of the characters and then you know we're using a lot of links that were taking up a lot of space so i think a little wiggle room was nice um but i do think there's been like sometimes there's a bit of an there's a bit of like a not abuse but like people who are like running a bit of muck with like how many characters they've got like i think people should still try and use brevity when they can uh but the ability yeah. to you know have an extra ten or fifteen characters here and there, I think, has definitely helped. So I've grown to it. But uh, I also think that these long tweets, like sometimes I just won't read them, which is like really probably sad for my general attention span. Where like I won't read, like I won't read three <laughs> sentences in my thing. I'm like, oh, this is too long, and I'll just move on to the next thing. Um, so I think still using brevity and emojis in replace of words, I think, still really uh, helps people look at your stuff and kind of stay stay engaged. But you know, Twitter's always experimenting and trying new stuff. So uh, I think, you know, it was worth the experiment. It seems like people like it for the most part. Yeah. Do you do you have a platform that you uh, would say is your your favorite to, to use both from a professional standpoint, but then from a personal standpoint? Yeah, you know, I think, I, I think probably I end up using Instagram the most, like on a day-to-day basis, just because you can kind of the scroll and then it's kind of a place sometimes now that I'll go like, it's actually almost a weird thing that I'll, if I want to see how, like, for example, today, how NFL free agency is going, uh, I'll like go to the NFL's Instagram and that could give me like a quick three second recap of the news, um, which I think is a new thing. But uh, I mean, Twitter will always sort of be my, 
my like my first love and like the place where I like engage with fans and and you can get a really good dialogue going back and forth. I think that's the place for for that. And they really own live in a way that the other platforms don't. So there's a shared experience around like you're watching a game and you go on Twitter and like my tweets are like the 50 tweets or 20 tweets a second from like all across entertainment and sports. So, you know, there might be an NBA player, an NHL player, a comedy writer, my best friend, and like three other people all watching the same game and having different opinions and different feelings towards. And I think that that shared experience around an event will sort of not be duplicated and Twitter's really owned it and kind of recognized that that's their, their market share where they're, you know, they, Twitter, they, they have their like slogan of it's where it's happening. And I think they really, uh, that's really true. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned with uh, your work at the the league, you had an opportunity to, to work directly with the social media uh, providers. I think you mentioned Twitter was one that you're in their offices working on something, uh, which I guess is part of a benefit of working for a, a company like the CFL, such high profile in Canada. Uh, what was that like? You know, did you get some kind of unique access, um, some behind the scenes looks at uh, things that are coming or what was um, that like? I mean, we, we, we kind of have always been, Twitter's always been a great partner of ours and they really, uh, you know, we were always, I think, maybe different than other places. The CFL is very malleable. So we can react very quickly. And if they have a new product coming or a new thing, like I remember a couple of years ago, there was this whole stir about Meerkat and Periscope. And, and they were like, Periscope is coming to Canada next week. And we were like, we're at the combine next week. And they're like, cool. Do you want to use Periscope next week? We we're like, absolutely, 100%. We'll give it a go. Um, so I think being able to react quickly has sort of always helped with them. And, you know, doing this live show, being there, they, they really uh, gave us the five-star treatment. And, and, you know, we worked with them and, you know, we made that show exclusive to Twitter and it, it was great. And, you know, it unlocked other stuff with us. They did some great stuff around Grey Cup and pageantry and, you know, had a really have a really good relationship with them. So um, especially, you know, around all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely been, it was definitely a very cool experience and, and, and all the, the people there that I work with sort of uh, on their team, uh, this gentleman by the name of Christopher Doyle is their head of sort of media partnerships. Um, he's great. I've known him for many years and, and we do, we've done some great work together. So, uh, you know, I, I've always enjoyed working with them. They're, they're very, they're very cool people and they, they have a, like a very clear passion for their work. Yeah. Are there any uh, new social channels that uh, that are coming that you're, you're excited about and think have a chance of catching on or, or do you think we're kind of, um, you know, set really with the, the ones that are, that are here and have got a bit of a Actually, foothold. funny that you say that. So I was talking to someone today about that and I don't know, I don't like see anything, but I kind of just feel like there's not a void, but like, I think people would be into something new and I, I don't have any grounds for that. And unless there's just like a instinct where I feel like if something came along and offered something, a unique experience, I don't really know what that is. Um, I think that that could be very interesting. Like, I don't know what, I haven't seen anything. Um, and I'm sure if it does get seen, like Facebook will buy it for a billion dollars before it has a chance to become its own thing anyways. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it's interesting sort of, you've seen Snapchat, you know, Instagram basically takes their best thing and, you know, the Snapchat stories kind of fall off. But, you know, millennial, like young kids, like I know people who use Snapchat as their messaging app all the time and don't use their text messaging. So like there is still an engaged audience on there. It's just different, maybe not in the sort of social sharing capacity that, you know, maybe people viewed it in the previous. Um, so I'm not totally sure. I think there's one 
The one thing I was thinking about is Instagram recently, you know, they have Instagram live. You can now like when you're live, if a friend joins, they can request to join you and you can do like a live two person video where you guys like have a conversation. Um, which I've never seen. I like, I don't know what that looks like, but there's like uh, something to me about, you know, it's almost not like a live chat room. It's like a super old school thing, but there's something about that like live two person video where, you know, you can do something with something super far away and, and kind of still share that out. Um, I don't think there's anything that does that with great efficiency in the live format right now. You know, it's sort of, you have to be there with the person. So sort of be interesting in that sort of live double ender piece to it. Um, I don't know if that's a social sharing platform, but that was just kind of a cool thing I saw on Instagram the other day, which is maybe off your question, but helpful in some capacity anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what would you say is, you know, biggest advice for those who want to break into sports? Uh, lots of people that want to break in, you know, want to work at the Argos or the CFL or just sports in general. Uh, what would you offer as a, as some, some advice to those? Yeah, people? I think my, ex- my, you know, a word to people whenever they ask me that has always been let people in your circle know sort of what you want. I know that might be weird, but I think like the internship that got me to Cosmos was a, uh, my friends found that one of my friends saw this sports marketing company, Mississauga and sent me a link to the Cosmos website and I applied and that's how I got there. When the Argos job was posted, someone I knew showed me the Argos job and I applied and knew somebody who knew somebody and got an interview that way. So I think it was almost like anybody I know, like let everybody know you want to work in sports. That's a thing that you're interested. And then, you know, it it doesn't have to be you finding the opportunity. Sometimes, you know, if you surround yourself with great people and people that that care about your future success, they're going to sort of find it for you. I know that that's obviously maybe fluky in my regard, but I've kind of found, uh, that people are willing to help and want to see their, their, their friends and family succeed. So, you know, letting people know what you want as opposed to, you know, keeping it a secret and somebody might see something and think about it, send it your way and you're kind of off to the races. All right. Uh, would, would you say kind of similar advice to somebody who wants to you know break in work in social digital media? Yeah. I mean, social is almost such a clouded space now. I think, you know, I have LinkedIn notifications and get there's a thousand social media jobs out there. So um, it would actually be, you know, uh, cause I was sort of in such a weird spot where it didn't really exist and kind of got in on the ground level. I think, you know, we talked about making sure your social, you kind of have to like sort of differentiate yourself in some way. Um, I don't know necessarily how that is, but um, it's probably different for each person. Um, but like, you know, really knowing the platforms, uh, really being clear about the work that you've done. You know, sometimes you'll get a resume and it just says worked here, worked here, worked here, worked here, but doesn't sort of explain. Uh, like I love seeing a resume that says like worked at this job for this many years and gives like, you know, two or three bullet points about the most important things you did while you were there. Cause that sort of speaks to what your experience and understanding of different stuff is. I don't know if that's a thing you've experienced with, with hiring, but you know, just saying I worked at this place for two years, but don't really, doesn't really tell me what you did there. I think is a, Sometimes I think that's missed because people want to keep their resumes as succinct as possible. But sometimes I find an advantage to a little more knowledge at the gate. Yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of a last question, wrap up question here. Um, so we're recording this on, on March 13th. Uh, have you filled out a bracket yet? I have not filled out a bracket yet, but I do need to like, what's my deadline for that? Is it like Thursday? 
Thursday. Yeah, I guess play-in games are, are tonight, I think. Yeah, so uh, I'm but in a pool that doesn't do the play-in games, so I can avoid that, and then I guess I wait till that's over. I have a, I got my wife to do it a couple of years ago. She won the first year she did it, so now it's like her favorite thing to do because she loves rubbing <laughs> it in that she's won and I never have. Yeah. Um, I have a buddy who goes to NC State and okay. working there now, and I heard that they have like a pretty decent team even though they got knocked out in the first round of the ACC. So I might pick them to go pretty far. And then like I'm a basketball, like an NBA guy. So I actually usually go on like nbadraft.net and just see like who are the top five picks in the NBA draft and just pick their teams to go far. Because I'm like, <laughs> we need one good guy and he can carry you. So like the year that Durant was there, I just picked Texas. Like I picked Texas to go like to the final four. Or like, yeah. I don't even remember who would have been last year, but I sort of was just like, who, oh, like Lonzo Ball. Like I think I took UC, was he UCLA? UCLA, yeah. yeah. I put UCLA to go like the final four and just like do it that way, which hasn't worked out for me yet. So maybe it should be time to juke my strategy and just pick based on mascots and, and team colors like I know some do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think there's a right way to go about it. But, do you have your picks done uh, already, Evan? Should I just steal your pocket, uh, send me a copy, and I'll just <laughs> enter it into my pool? I've started. I've started. <laughs> I, I was actually doing uh, doing a bit of research before we jumped on the uh, podcast here, but uh, haven't really settled on who I think is gonna gonna win it all yet. But I believe I was in um, charge of the Cosmos pool when I was there and had to post daily standings on the above the printer. So I assume someone has taken up my standing. Well, it's, it's again a, a comment on how the how the world's changed <laughs> in, in that time. We now it's all electronic now, so yeah, no more uh, more working and, paper sheets yeah, exactly. and scoring them manually. Oh man. But well, you can tell Max, that was, I, I hope that this gets me the uh, the trophy of the week if he's presenting it to somebody who's not in the office. Well, th- we'll make that a first too. <laughs> first remote podcast for first remote player of the week. There you uh, go, exactly. Um, well, great. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. This was uh, this was great. A lot of uh, insight on on social and digital media and. And best of luck on uh, on the new venture at uh, we uh, we.org, is it? Yeah, that's sort of the, that's their website. So it's an interesting new space to be a part of, but they do some really cool work. So I'm kind of excited to learn a, a new space, but I think there's a lot of transferable stuff. You know, they run we days are huge and they're very similar to, you know, a football game in terms of the they're in a stadium and they attract, you know, thousands of people. So I think there's a lot of transferable stuff that I think will actually be be pretty helpful. But I uh, appreciate you having me. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. No Special thanks to Max for joining me on the podcast this week. Always great to chat with Max about the latest in social and digital media. If you liked what you heard on this episode or any of our episodes so far, we'd love to hear from you. You can let us know what you think by leaving a review, or you can reach us by email, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. My name is Evan Colborn. Thank you very much for listening.